Today's message was recorded live at the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church of Louisville, Kentucky, a safe environment where people relationships become kingdom relationships. Find us online at www.friendlychurch.com. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is asked the question, which is the greatest commandment? He answered, love God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then again, at the Last Supper, he says the same thing, but with a twist, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. This time, Jesus replaced your neighbor with one another. This new love that Christ commands of us goes much deeper than the Old Testament commandment he was quoting in Matthew. The people we have been commanded to love has expanded beyond our neighborhoods to include, well, everyone. And this includes people who might make this commandment a bit difficult, like that confrontational coworker who just seems impossible to get along with, or your in-laws who've never treated you like a part of the family, or maybe the person you just met who you don't even know and really need some help. You see, Jesus knew his physical time on earth was nearing an end. So in this new take on the old commandment, Jesus also made another change. The words as yourself became as I have loved you. Wow. That's a tough act to follow. Christ's sacrificial life provides a clear and concrete example of real and true love. And he put this love on display on a daily basis with his disciples. He was patient with them, speaking kindly and showing great concern for their welfare. He instructed, counseled, and comforted them, prayed with them and for them. He admonished them for wrongdoing and yet compassionately bore with their failings. And most of all, he gave his life, dying so that they, and we, might live. According to Jesus, this is how others will know that you are one of his followers, not because you have a shirt or a bumper sticker that says so, not because we announce it from a stage or a blog or a status update, but because they look at you, at how you live, the things you do and say, and they see Jesus. They see love. Amen. Open with me your Bibles to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, and stay there, because that's what we're going to study today. John 13, verses 31 to 35. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews 
Where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we come before you once again to ask that you speak through your word and that the word speaks through me today. We ask for the words that will be spoken to come as if they were coming straight from you, Lord. And we ask for the ears that will hear this message that will be open and willing to receive. And we ask that the hearts will be a fertile soil to receive the seeds of truth and those seeds to bring forth fruit. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So welcome, welcome to the Upper Room Lessons. Three weeks ago, we stepped with his disciples into the Upper Room and we learned from Jesus. Today, we're going to continue this series, Upper Room Lessons, See, Jesus spends his last hours of ministry, and literally last hours of his life, with his disciples teaching them lessons they should never forget. John, the apostle, the beloved disciple, records this lesson in his gospel beginning with chapter 13 and ending with chapter 17. I've been recently very fascinated about the doctrinal lessons Jesus taught his disciples in those hours in the upper room. Three weeks ago, we looked at John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17, and we learned the lesson of humility. It was the week before Easter. And in verse 1 of chapter 13, John describes the context of the upper room story. And he defines the main theme. And the theme is, John 13 verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour has come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. In the Greek, the last word to the end, telos, is translated to the end, more literally, to perfection or to completion. He loved them to perfection. He loved them to completion. 
at a feast, it was customary for a, uh, for, for a servant to wash the feet of the guests. And on this occasion, preparation had been made for this service. The pitcher was there, the basin and the towel, they were there, ready for the feet washing, but no servant was there present. Why? It was the disciples' part to perform this job. And for a few long minutes, there is silence. And by their silence, Jesus' disciples refused to humble themselves. The disciples made no move serving one another. Jesus waited for a while to see what they would do, and then he rose from the table. He took off his outer garment, took a towel, and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. In John 13, 3, he taught them the lesson of humility. He gave them an example they would never forget. And that, that is what Jesus is expecting from all of us here in 2021. He wants us to follow in his footsteps and to love those around us as he loved his disciples. When someone does not understand or refuses to live a Christian lifestyle because they're disciples, when someone doesn't understand and live as a Christian life, he calls us to love them and he calls us to serve them. This is the first lesson on one of the greatest lessons we learn from Jesus in the upper room. When another disciple does not walk the Christian life, he calls us to love and to serve them. He doesn't call us to, doesn't call us to talk about them or to bring them to justice. He calls us to love them and to serve them. See, Jesus was fully aware of his divinity, yet he laid aside his kingly robe and took the form of a servant. Ellen White says, the king of kings became the servant of servants. If the king of kings, Jesus, did that, what am I supposed to do as his disciple as his follower. I supposed to do the same, right? One of the last acts of Jesus, one of the last deeds of Jesus on earth was to, to take the job of a servant and perform the job of a servant. Now, the paragraph of Scripture we're studying today, the first line of verse 31 John 13, verse 31, begins with, So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Who had gone out? Who is this he that had gone out? John talks about Judas. In a paragraph between what we studied three weeks ago, 
John 13, 1 to 17. Between verses 18 to 34, Jesus presents how G, uh, John presents how Jesus treated Judas. He presents how Jesus treated Judas. And remember how the entire story of the upper room is set, actually, the stage is set on verse 1. Jesus loved his own. He loved Judah. We're going to study that another time. And that paragraph ends in verse 30, where, 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 um, where John says, Having received a piece of bread, he, Judas, he then went out immediately, and it was night. Night is dark. Night is the symbol of darkness. Many commentators comment on this verse, indicating that the night Judas betrayed Jesus was the darkest night. John says it was dark. Darkness is the opposite of light. Darkness is the absence of light. Judas went out into the darkness as opposed to staying inside with Jesus. He is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. And having known the context of darkness, Jesus begins this paragraph we're going to study for the next several weeks. I think it's powerful. He said, now that the Son of Man is glorified, this is Jesus speaking, now that the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in Him, if God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and glorify Him immediately. What is Jesus talking about here? What is the word that comes up five times in these two little verses? Glorified, glorify, is the effect of glory. Let me ask you this question. What is God's glory? His character, right? And God's character can be defined as what? One word. God is, 1 John 4, 8 and 16, God is love. See how the, the setup of the upper room story in verse 1 transpires all through this story. Love. God is love. How was Jesus going to love them to the end? How was Jesus to reveal God's character to a dying, dark world? How was Jesus going to be glorified? We all know we celebrated that, right? By dying on the cross. By the sacrificial, undeserved death on the cross. See, my friends, when the world is in darkness, the light comes to dispel the darkness. When the world is driven by sin and selfishness, God in Jesus is glorified by executing the most loving act. 
dying on the cross for you and me. That's how God is glorified in Jesus. Sacrificial love. And sacrificial love calls for sacrificial death. Sacrificial love for his disciples calls for sacrificial death to self and death for the sinner. Could it be that we as Christians, we as disciples of Jesus, have changed our perspective on his love in the recent years? Jesus is living his very last hours before his crucifixion. He knows he's going to die in a few hours. And when a man is going to die, you can be sure his final words are heavy with what he feels most deeply about. Because when you're counting down to death, every word counts. So for Jesus here in the upper room, what matters most is what is on his heart. And he says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What is on the heart of Jesus in the, outer, in the upper room? He says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just in case you think that this command is simply, is simply a, a, a passing, isolating thought of Jesus, you need to know that here within the walls of the upper room, Jesus pronounces this command five times. Love one another. 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 Five times. Five times, love one another. Read for yourself. John chapter 13 to 17. And when you do, you can't help but notice how often the word love appears in those upper room chapters. In my Bible, 33 times, 31 from his, from his death row lips. It's inescapable. Love is clearly on the mind of Jesus on the eve of his death. I give you, he says, a new commandment that you love one another. And you may think, Pastor Marius, come on. What's the big deal here? We've heard this one before. Love one another. This is not a new revelation. It is as common as the apple pie in America. And you know, when I came to U.S., that's why I love apple pie. And I discovered that you can find apple pie everywhere. <laughs> that's true. So this is not new. It is common. We, whole, we all heard about it before. Every church and preacher talks about it. And of course, you're right. When this upper room commandment got to my attention, I realized that is not new at all. We've known it for years, and so had the disciples. But what will make this old command so dramatically new 
for these upper room disciples and for us is that in less than 24 hours, they will be witnesses to a bloody love so radical that it will forever rewrite the definition of love in the human language. See, President Ronald Reagan touched the heart of our nation when he quoted the upper room words of Jesus. Remember that tragic accident, the Air Florida crash on one winter in, in the Potomac River, just off the runway of the National Airport in Washington, D.C.? Rescue helicopters and news cameras hovered over the scene as survivors of the crash fought for their life to the surface of ice and debris. A lifeline was lowered to one of the surviving passengers, a bald-headed man. But instead of grasping that line to safety, he tossed the attached life ring across the icy waters to another struggling victim. The rescue helicopter dragged that fortunate survivor to safety. And back came with a lifeline. And again, it was dropped to the same bald-headed man. And again, he passed the ring yet to another desperate victim. Again, another survivor was rescued. Back and forth, that drama of life and death played. But when the helicopter returned one last time to rescue the unselfish stranger, he was gone. The frigid waters had finally claimed him. Speaking of this unselfish bravery, President Reagan quoted Jesus in a national address. He said, greater love has no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. John 15, 13. Those were the crimson words spoken in that same upper room just moments after Jesus told his disciples, new commandment, I give you that you love one another. A new commandment that will become new for you tomorrow when 11 of the disciples would witness no greater love. That brutal glory of the man on the cross. My friends, Calvary has forever rewritten the definition of love in the human language. Sacrificial love. But, you know, the newness of Jesus' command to love one another isn't found in his radical definition of love as radical and awesome and mighty that is. For me, it's so painfully new in the realization of what Jesus is actually declaring to be ultimate defining and characteristic of his true followers. Jesus said in verse 35, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And what is so new is what I realize Jesus did not say. See, Jesus does not say, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you keep the seven-day Sabbath. He could have said it. He's talking to a Sabbatarian group. 
All of the 11 disciples have kept the Sabbath from their very first breath, and they will keep the seven-day Sabbath to their very last breath. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if, if you have love for one another. Jesus did not say if you keep the seven-day Sabbath. Of course, he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is going to rest in the tomb on the Sabbath, but he did not make it the ultimate characteristic of his true followers. As I said earlier, when a man is on death row, he chooses his words very carefully. And the words Jesus intentionally chose were these. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And Jesus does not say, does not say by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if, you hope, if your hope is in the second coming. Of course, that's the great blessed hope that burned into the hearts of Christians throughout the centuries. That's a great hope. Because minutes later, Jesus says, actually in chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus does not... Uh, uh, denies or denigrates either the seven-day Sabbath or his second, uh, the blessed of the second coming. But he will not make it, either of those truths, the ultimate identifying mark of his people on earth. You may call yourself a seven-day Adventist, as I do, but neither the seven-day nor the Adventist is how Jesus declared the world will recognize you and me. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There are 28 truths of doctrine that the Seventh-day Adventist Church as a denomination believes as rooted in the Bible and we live by them. They're all truths. We call them the fundamental truths beliefs of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. They're all truths that come from our studying and understanding of the Bible, the whole Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. For all 28 great truths are just as true today as they were in that night when Jesus said, by this, by this, all red and yellow, black and white, by this, all rich and poor, educated and illiterate. By this, the first world, the second world, and the third world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So the question to be asked is, are we loving people? Or are we, as Mark Twain cynically put it, Good in the worst sense of the word. You know what that means. You meant that. You, you, you met those people. You've known people like that. People who are so right in their truth. So correct in their theology. So proper in their standards. But oh my. You wouldn't ever want to live next door to them. 
Those people who are good in the worst sense of the word, as Mark Twain puts it. Philip Yancey quotes the little English girl who prayed, Oh God, make the bad people good and make the good people nice. <laughs> By this, all will know if, uh, that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Are we nice people? Are we loving people? Or are we good in the worst sense of the word, people? Philip Yancey tells of a true story he heard from a friend of his who was working with the disadvantaged and the homeless, the people that were in need in Chicago. It is a story of a prostitute who ended up selling not just her body, but that of her daughters in exchange for funds to pay her bills. When his friend finally asked her if she had ever thought of going to a church for help, her look of pure naive shock on her face was, Church? Why would I ever want to go there? I was already feeling terrible for myself. They would just make me feel worse. And what Yancey writes, reflecting on this story, is that women like this prostitute flew toward Jesus, not away from him. The worse a person felt about herself, the more likely she saw Jesus as refuge. Has the church lost that gift. Evidently homeless, the disadvantaged, the poor in spirit who flocked to Jesus when he lived here on earth no longer feel welcome among his followers. What happened? What shall we say in response? Some of you may, may be tempted to suggest that the problem was really with those churches in Chicago. If she had known our church, would she have thought differently? A new commandment I give to you, Jesus said, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's not in my notes, it's not on my manuscript, but it, it dawned on me as I was talking with, uh, with, with Pam last night that this, if, is conditional. And as I'm preaching and reflecting on this, I'm even thinking, are we even His disciples if we don't have love for one another? We all have followed diligently the Ten Commandments. Jesus gives us a new commandment today, the Eleventh Commandment, if you will. That's why I entitled my sermon today, Upper Room Lessons, the Eleventh Commandment. Let me ask you a question, maybe embarrassing. In our, in our quest, in our exuberance to help the world remember the Fourth Commandment, have we forgotten to remember the Eleventh? 
While we do well and champion obedience to the Ten Commandments, do we all the while disobey the Eleventh Commandment? Jesus says, I give you a new command, that you love one another. It takes neither a theologian nor a sociologist to observe that humanity today simply isn't looking for the Ten Commandments, but human beings all over the world are starving for the Eleventh Commandment. My fellow Seventh-day Adventists, if God would win their minds, they must first win their hearts. In a book, Desire of Ages, Page 641, it says, Love to man is the earthward manifestation of the love of God. It was to implant this love to make us children of one family. That the King of glory became one with us. And when his parting words were fulfilled, Love one another as I have loved you. When we love the world as he has loved us. When we loved each other as he has loved us. This for, then for us, his mission is accomplished. We are fitted for heaven, for we have heaven in our hearts. This is challenging. All this, all these upper room lessons are very challenging. So we're going to stick with it for the next few weeks because I think we need to have it. Unless we have heaven in our hearts, we're not going to make it to heaven. Brothers and sisters in faith, friends of Middletown who are watching, now you know it. Today, Jesus reminded us of the 11th commandment. And in the following sermons, we're going to study and we're not going to know how we're going to practice this. Love each other as Jesus loved you. And he says, by the way, if you know these things, blessed are you. If you do them. Amen.